Thanks, guys. Um, obviously, you noticed the change today. You walked in here and saw everything up there, and uh, you might be saying, why? Why do we change? Why do we change? Um, uh, we change because we're a church on mission. We're a church on the mission for the gospel, and uh, what we want to do is create more space so more people can come in and uh, hear, hear about Jesus Christ. And uh, last, a few weeks ago, we had a, an experience here where... Um, a family of five had to walk in and it sort of take a second row from the front because there was no available seats at the back. So we thought we don't really want to make it uncomfortable for a visiting family to come in or anybody new to come in. So we thought we'd create some more space and uh, shift all this up on the stage. You know, there's a little bit of drama there with the uh, projector, but we'll get it worked out next, next week. We'll probably put a screen down here, I think, to try and make it a bit easier. So there may be a few teething problems as we go through that, but um, be with us. Uh, we're a church on mission, so we make this change to make more space so more people can come and hear about Christ as we do that. Uh, we're not like some people that just like to rearrange the furniture now and again to make it look good. We, no, no, we've got a, a, good, a good reason there behind it. Uh, a couple of things. Great to see Hayden here today. Hayden um, Newcomb had a bit of a fall a few weeks ago and broke his hip, so he hasn't been with us the last few weeks. So great to see you, Hayden. You've made it long, mate. No... Got in the car okay and everything all right? Yeah. Yeah, well done, mate. Oh, okay. Dad's sort of shaking the hand there a bit of both ways. Um, yesterday, uh, we had a budding evangelist uh, do her first um, testimony talk. Gabs Cutler did a great job with the ladies yesterday. I heard nothing but good reports, so uh, I saw a few photos as well. So thanks to Gabs to, uh, and the rest of the ladies coming together and doing uh, good stuff there again, to be on mission, to uh, share about Jesus and to let the gospel go out. And we can do that through a testimony, through somebody's life story, as they um, as just ex- uh, explain and uh, talk about how Christ and the gospels worked in their lives. And uh, really good to see Gabs do that and the ladies get together for that. Okay, having uh, said all that, we are now into our talk for the day. Um, we are on spiritual warfare. Uh, and here's a part of a forward to a book written by William Gunnall more than 400 years ago. So, Nate, you can put up that um, Gunnall quote if you like. You can follow. Oh, no. We will get a bigger screen next week, guys, to sort of make that a bit more legible. Follow with me, though. Uh, the subject of this treatise, which is like a book that he's written, the subject of this treatise is solemn. A war between the saint and Satan. And it is such a bloody one that the cruelest war ever fought by men will be seen as but sport and child's play compared to this. It is a spiritual war that you shall read of. Not of a history of what it was fought many ages past and is now over, but of a war now going on. The tragedy is present with us. And it is not taking place at the farthest end of the world. It concerns you and everyone who reads of it. The stage on which this war is fought is every man's soul. There are no neutrals in this war. The whole world is engaged in the quarrel, either for God against Satan or for Satan against God. William Gunnell had a good grasp of this uh, passage of scripture that we're looking at. He actually wrote like 1,200 pages on these uh, 10 or so verses here. Uh, a Puritan from 400 years ago, but he had some great thoughts there. He really does open up for us as we think about this war today. So if you've got your Bibles, go to Ephesians. And we are going to read um, chapter 6, verse 10 through to 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. 
Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armour of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore... Having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I'm an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Uh, Lord, thank you again today as we're able to come and look at this passage. And as we spend these next few weeks, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do miracles in our hearts as we think about spiritual warfare. Uh, we pray today you would do a miracle in our heart, that you would, uh, as it were, break the bonds and the chains that Satan would try and put over us in spiritual warfare. Help us, Lord, to be aware of this enemy as we look at him today and his wickedness and his deceptions and his evilness that he tries to influence our lives with. Help us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, as we do this series here on spiritual warfare, we've seen, um, as we saw last week, that Paul unpacks the gospel here to the Ephesians, showing how Christ is building a beautiful community of people who love and serve him gladly and wholeheartedly. Uh, this community has been determined by God to be a people who are characterised by the loving sacrifice and tender humility of Jesus Christ. Uh, this is a community, a community of people who are living in peace, joy and righteousness in the Holy Spirit. It's a glorious community. And then we get this point here of chapter 6. And it's here where, we, where Paul changes tack and he tells us that we are in for a fight. The previous sort of uh, six and a bit chapters, he's unpacking this glorious community. But now, as he said, now he says we are in for a fight. We are in for a battle. There is something and someone who is hell-bent on destroying this community that Christ is building. It's here in chapter 6 that we are told we're in a fight and where we are to be strong in Christ and the power of his might. We are to put on the armour of God. We are to stand for the glory of God in his strength. A couple of things, again, I want to remind us about because I think these are really critical as we think about this fight against evil, this battle that we're engaged in. Firstly, this fight, this battle that Paul's talking about here, isn't about gaining our salvation. It isn't about fighting so somehow we can get God's approval and he will save us. Really important we get that. Because often we don't. We think like we've got to earn stuff or do stuff to get God's approval. This fight is not about gaining our salvation. Uh, this fight comes from the foundation that we are already saved in Christ. We are already saved by what he has done for us already. So the foundation is we're fighting from a position of being saved and in Christ already. Secondly, it's not a strange thing that we are in a spiritual fight if you're a Christian. We explored that a little bit last week. But don't think when you become a Christian it becomes a red carpet ride and everything else just falls away from you in life. 
That's not the case. There's not something wrong with you if you're in a fight and you are a Christian, a spiritual fight I'm talking about. Jesus, Jesus himself said this, that we would have trouble in the world in John 16.33. I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, Jesus says, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I've overcome the world. There's Jesus himself, referring to his disciples there and saying, on account of following me, you will experience tribulation. You will experience trouble. Now, even if you're not a believer, even if you're not a Christian here today, you will also recognise a sense of good and evil in the world where we live. You've only got to go to the movies, only got to see what Hollywood puts out, and many of them are based around this theme of evil challenging good. If you've been to any of those Avenger movies over the last few years, some evil force rises up and the Avengers have got to come in and take them down. It's sort of good versus evil. And like all good movies, normally good overcomes evil. But they never can quite eradicate evil, can they? If you look at Star Wars, what are we up to now? Star Wars 8? Is it Star Wars 1, 2? I think it's number 8 now in the series. We just can't quite get rid of the whoever they are. What are those droids called in Star Wars? Bad guys. The Empire. Is it the Empire? We can't get rid of them. But, good and evil. I opened up the Shep News the other day as well. And virtually on the same page, I saw these things. I saw a news centre for helping domestic violence victims. Something good for a news centre, something evil, because domestic violence is an evil thing. And on the same page, I saw a new health and wellness magazine for the community. I thought, that's a good thing. But right alongside that, there's this story of a homeless man who's been murdered and dumped in the Murray River near Cobram. Evil. It's in the world all around about us. It's on the same page in the local newspaper. There's something very evil in this world and it's causing us all, whether you're a believer or not a believer in Christ, pain or grief in varying degrees. And followers of Jesus, as I said, are not immune to this fight. In fact, the fight intensifies as you become a believer. You become more acutely aware of this battle now on a number of different fronts as you become more aware of evil and how it operates and works in and around us. But the Christian fight is a fight, but it's marked by a victorious life in joy in overcoming through these battles and skirmishes that we have. So we want to build on last week's foundation where Paul called us to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might as we consider this spiritual warfare and this spiritual battle. So this week we want to pick up on just who is our enemy, who, who are we fighting, what is, who is the battle with, and how this enemy operates. Who is the enemy and how he operates? Firstly, the enemy. It's really critical that when somebody is in a fight that we know who our enemy is. When the generals of war sort of plot and plan their strategies of how we're going to take on this enemy in defence or attack, they want to know exactly who the enemy is. They'll spend a lot of time thinking and analysing and just sort of discussing who is the enemy. How does this enemy operate? What are their strong points? What are their weak points? What do their battle plans look like? Generals will spend a lot of time trying to understand who the enemy is. Because if they know who the enemy is and how they operate, that will then increase their chances of overcoming that enemy and having victory. And this particularly so in spiritual warfare that we are involved in, it's vitally important that we know who the enemy is so that we can combat them correctly and also overcome this enemy as well. 
instead of being defeated by the enemy and then flattened by them in the fight. So, who is the enemy in this fight? Look in verse 12. Paul tells us there our fight is not against flesh and blood. We are not, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Our battle, our spiritual warfare, isn't against other people. We're not fighting people. As followers of Jesus, we are not called to fight against other people in this spiritual battle. Other people may be under the influence of evil and they may carry out evil actions towards us, but we are not called to, we are not to respond by fighting directly with other people. Paul says we're not wrestling with flesh and blood. If the person at work continues to cut me down and trash my name around the staff room, I'm not called to go and meet them in the car park after work and have a verbal stash with them. I'm not fighting that person. I'm not called to go out there and just say whatever I can to sort of take them down or repay them with hurtful comments. That's not the battle I'm in. I will meet them in the car park and try and speak reasonably with them. And I might even try and talk to a superior who's above me to say, look, I'm feeling a bit of pressure there. But I'm not there to respond in like kind to how they may be talking about me in the office. Maybe I've just got to put up with that in the office or maybe I look for another job. My battle is not against them. In Romans 12, we're actually told to overcome evil with good. So we aren't fighting people over... uh, We aren't fighting uh, other people in this battle, but we certainly do have an enemy here that Paul's going to get us to. In verse 12, let's read that further on. He says then, But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. To sum this up, as we think about this here, we are fighting against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers and spiritual forces that we know as Satan or the devil and his horde of evil spirits. That is the enemy. Satan, or known as the devil, and his horde of evil spirits. They are the cosmic powers that we cannot see. They are the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Galatians 1.4 says we are told we are living in a present evil age. There are cosmic powers that have an influence in this world for evil. And they rule in this present darkness that we are living in. There's real spiritual forces in the heavenly realm. Evil forces. And this is all captured for us in the name uh, in the Bible by a person in the name of Satan or the devil. In the New Testament alone, there's mention of Satan or devil more than a hundred times as a real personal being. And this is the enemy that we are fighting in these spiritual battles. Not flesh and blood, but evil, demonic, spiritual powers that are absolutely real. Who is Satan? Who is Satan? Who is a Satan who's mentioned multiple times in the New Testament? We understand him to be a created spirit being and perhaps a high-ranking spirit being created by God. 
And somewhere, somewhere in eternity past, before the creation of man, Satan has rebelled against God as his creator and ruler. And in that sense, Satan has then been kicked out of God's holy presence. And he set himself up to be directly opposed to everything that God is. If God is good and holy and joyful and happy and all those things, Satan is filled with hate, filled with vengeance, filled with anger and filled with deceit. Whatever God is, Satan is directly opposed to that. And when Satan left, we also understand that he's also influenced a myriad of other spirit beings in this rebellion against God. And they've all gone with him. This evil spirit called Satan has multiple billions of evil spirits. Numbers beyond our comprehension who have supernatural powers as these spiritual beings that are now under the influence of Satan. Satan is superhuman. Superhuman. Supernatural. In any measurement of power, he's way more powerful than us in our natural state. It's really important we understand who the enemy is as we think about this battle we're in. We are no match for Satan if we think somehow that we can take him on in some sort of physical contest or physical contact. You've only got to look in the, uh, in the book of Acts where there was uh, one demon-possessed man who took on uh, the seven sons of Sceva. So seven brothers come and take on this demon-possessed man to sort of get the demons out of him. The demon-possessed man overcomes these seven brothers and they flee the house, as it were, with just their underwear on. If you read the Bible, it says they fled the house naked, but it really means with their underwear on. So seven guys are actually beaten up by one demon-possessed person. We are no match at all in thinking that we can tackle Satan or his hordes as our enemy in a physical sense. Way too powerful for us. Way, way, way too powerful for us in a natural sense. Not only superhuman in powers, but Satan also is intelligent. Intelligent. Way beyond any human being or any group of human beings come together to, to combine their minds. Satan's ability to think, comprehend and retain information is superhuman. Not even the biggest, fastest computer in the world could come anywhere near the intelligence of Satan. We are up against a very formidable enemy when we think about this spiritual warfare that we are in against Satan. It's important to remember with this intelligence that Satan has that we are no new kids on the block for him. As far as he's never seen one of us before, how will I tempt this person? Satan has seen many of us go through in in the uh, lifetime of this world. Satan doesn't say, whoa, this is a new one. I've never seen this guy before. He's got uh, amazing intelligence. Satan, though, in this sense, isn't omnipresent. We believe that God is omnipresent. He is always present everywhere. Satan can't be. He can only be in one place at one time. But in some ways, that probably doesn't matter because he has control of these billions of evil spirits that can carry out his evil works all over the world, anywhere at any time. Satan is utterly opposed to God and all of his creation, especially humans. And the reason that is so is because we are made in the likeness of God. And anything that represents God, Satan hates with a vengeance. He doesn't love anything. He hates everything. Satan hates God and his creation with an intense evil hatred. 
Satan or the devil is our accuser or adversary. Satan readily accuses us before God of all of our weaknesses and faults. He just likes to stand there and pick holes in us all day long. Zechariah 3, 1, 2 gives us a really good picture of this. It says here, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. So we get this picture of Satan accusing uh, Joshua, the high priest. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this, is not this a brand plucked from the fire? So picture here of this accusations that Satan does. Now, how that looks, we don't know, but we get this picture. At least he's there accusing us before God. He's in this continuous mode of opposition towards us. Satan can think of nothing better than to destroy us, and he's continually opposed to us. John 10.10 says this, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, and I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Here the thief, opposed to Jesus, reveals his goal. To steal, to kill, and to destroy. In total and complete opposition all the time. Satan takes delight in seeing people destroyed and plunged into hell. He sits back in evil delight when he sees people rebelling against God and walking the path to destruction. If there's any delight in his being, it's probably that. He's dragged somebody else down that uh, satanic evil path. Now, now these are just some of the things we know about Satan. As I shared last week, I read a couple of books um, recently, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, and the first book was... 20 sermons, I think, nearly just on the nature and the character of Satan. You might have thought you have probably had enough after four or five sermons, but there's a whole lot more we could say about him and the nature of his works. But we are going to think now about how does he work. That's who he is, but how does he work? How does he work in our lives? We are told the present ruler of this evil age works in schemes. Look in verse 11. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Schemes. Um, have you ever watched a current affair and they expose those con men who set up those rip-off schemes? There's nearly one every second week, isn't there? Something's happened somewhere around Australia and there's a, there's a scheme set up somewhere and these con men get together and they hatch a plan and they sort of, you know, come with all this sort of big... PR spiel to somebody and sell them all these things that they can never actually fulfil. It's a scheme. It's just a big con job and people are ripped off blind. Well, that's the sort of stuff that Satan deals in. That's what he's all about. Satan is the master liar and deceiver. In every which way you can imagine is how he works in lies and deceptions. We're told in John 8 that his native language is lying. He can't do anything else but lie. He just deceives and lies the whole time. Satan deals in lies. In our spiritual battle against this enemy, that's what Satan does. He just spews out lies. It's just like a continual barrage of lies that come towards us. And one of our biggest problems in this battle is, is we often believe those lies. We take them in and we begin to believe those lies that he says. Satan is 24-7, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, scheming, 
planning and methodically strategizing a whole barrage of lies and deceptions to deceive us. That's how he exists. He probably doesn't need sleep. I don't know there, but he, he just exists and thrives on thinking, what is the next uh, best temptation suited to you and I to take us down and to destroy us? He's constantly thinking about that. Somehow take our eyes off Christ and to cut us off from him. And as I said earlier, uh, Satan has, has seen your eye probably a million times over and he knows exactly what is best suited for us. He doesn't have to think too long about what's needed to tempt us with to defeat us in this battle that we are in and then to leave us in a hopeless mess on the floor defeated again by Satan's schemes and strategies. He's the master. He's the absolute master at coming in at just the wrong time for us or the right time for him and to whisper what we just don't need to hear at that moment. He knows exactly when to do it and how to do it. Think about Adam and Eve in the garden as we think about these schemes or these lies or these deceptions. Maybe they've just walked past that forbidden tree of good and evil. If you go back to Genesis, you'll see that God placed one tree in the garden. He said, you can eat from every tree in this garden you like, but there's one tree in the middle. I don't want you to eat from that one tree. Adam and Eve maybe have walked past this one tree. They've stopped to look at it. So Satan, who is relentless and ever-watching, senses his opportunity here to kill them, to kill Adam and Eve. He slides over to Eve and whispers into her ear, Did God really say you can't eat of any tree in the garden? Just quietly comes over and whispers that into Eve's ear. Eve replies, There's only one tree we can't eat of. If we eat that one, we will die. Satan replies back to Eve. He says, You will not surely die. For God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Got to think about what Satan's doing here when he says this. As he, as he slyly comes across and says these things, what's he doing here? He's actually starting off with a half-truth. He's starting off with a half-truth. He says, you can't eat of any of these trees, he says to Eve. Well, that's sort of right. There's one tree they can't eat of, not all of the trees. So straight away, he's getting Eve to immediately question and doubt what God has said. He's trying to actually just sow a bit of doubt in her mind. But then he goes further and he sells Eve the lie about God and paints God as the scrooge, as it were, for holding out on Adam and Eve and withholding all these good things that they can receive if they eat of that one tree, that they will become like God. And he promises them, Satan promises, I mean, that you will become like God if you eat from this tree. God's actually holding you out from this. He's holding back. He's a scrooge about this. Satan's giving them an empty promise. And we know the disaster and the destruction that has followed Adam and Eve's life from that point on when they swallowed the lie of Satan and took it on board. Satan does the same thing with us today. If he can take down Adam and Eve who were in perfection at that stage, they were sinless at that point, if he can take them down then... We are no match for him in that same strategies and same schemes today. He baits us with half-truths first and then he deceives us down the path of death after that. It may go something like this. I've had a massive week this week. This is hypothetical, of course. I've had a massive week this week. It's been really busy and I've done a stack of hours. 
stack of hours. I'm physically and mentally exhausted. I've gone above and beyond the call of duty. I'm thinking to myself, I need a rest. Actually, I deserve a really, really good rest. At this stage, Satan may not be involved in what's happening there. He's, he's probably seeing my actions and seeing what I'm doing. He's just observing what's going on at this point. But having seen that or observed that, Satan now senses his opportunity in this thinking. He's seen me and this situation before. He knows exactly what he needs to say now and what he needs to do so he moves in at this point. Satan whispers into my ear this. Todd, you're so tired from this big week you've had that you do need a rest. You need a really good rest. Actually, Todd, you need a really good sleep in. You need to actually regain this energy that you need to get. And this weekend coming, you just need a couple of big mornings of sleeping in. Switch off the alarm. Don't get out of bed until you feel like it. And when you are up, just relax. Take it easy. Because you need a really good rest. Now, Todd, it won't hurt to miss uh, miss being with your brothers and sisters at church this Sunday. Just have a rest. You need a really good sleep in. They'll understand that you've had this mentally taxing week. You can have a week off going to church. You don't need to be with your brothers and sisters. He may whisper that to me Saturday night as I'm going to bed. Or he may whisper that into my ear Sunday morning when I'm first stirring. The battle's starting. What's Satan done here in this spiritual warfare? He's taken a grain of truth and then he's distorting it into an outright lie. The truth is, I do need a rest. I am physically and mentally exhausted. I do need some good sleep. I do need to catch up on that. I need some peaceful relaxation to refresh myself. That's true. But then in comes his lie. Todd, give church a miss today. You really need to have such a good rest, you've got to sleep right in. You're way too tired for that. That's the lie. That's the lie that he now follows in with after the half-truth. What Satan has done, he has baited me with a half-truth and now he's selling me a lie about not needing community. You don't need that. Satan knows that God has given the community of believers as a community of grace. He knows that. He wants to keep me away from that. It's a place where I can receive encouragement, comfort, strength. It's a place where my heart can be refocused in Christ and on the gospel. Satan is wanting to keep me away from that. Satan knows what we are told in Hebrews chapter 10 where it says this. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Satan knows that, and he knows the grace we receive as we come together as God's people. Now, if we just thought about a little bit about those Hebrew people here, They were living in incredibly physical and mentally exhausting, severe persecution. If ever there was a case to stay home and have a rest, it would be these people in Hebrews. 
They are living in extreme conditions of absolute mental and physical exhaustion. But no, they saw it as even more important to get together and even more so during these times of stress. It's here where you find the comfort and strength and the grace you need in those mentally, physically exhausting weeks. You see, this is the spiritual warfare that we're in. This is the enemy that we are opposed to and up against. The battle starts in our mind with a thought. Satan sends in this fiery dart, as it were, but it's camouflaged. It's camouflaged in a half-truth. And then he sells us the lie and tells us that we don't need to be with our community today, that we can do without them. And this is where the wrestle begins. This is where we begin to wrestle with Satan. And it's here that we start to wrestle with the devil. It's not a physical wrestle, it's a mental wrestle. We're not physically grappling him. We are wrestling in our mind with these thoughts and these desires and these things that he throws in. And on this particular occasion, we are wrestling over the value of being with other believers. This is the, this is the wrestling point here that Satan is now working in our hearts and minds. He's saying, stay home. He's saying, take a rest. He's saying, you don't need to be there. But we know from God's word, that's where our comfort, that's where our strength comes from. That's where our grace comes from, being with other people. And this is the wrestle. This is the wrestle we're dealing with in our minds. And the moment we believe Satan's lie, and we decide to uh, give up on the community for that day, the moment we believe Satan's lie, he licks his lips and he laughs at us. We don't see that, but that's what he does. He licks his lips and he laughs at us. And all that does is intensify his hatred for us even further because he's just beaten us. And he can't wait for the next contest because he's looking forward to defeat us again and to deflate us again and deceive us again. Because after that, Satan will convince us we do feel physically better because I've stayed at home and I'm feeling physically better. Yeah, I must, that's a real winner for me. But in the meantime, we've missed out on the grace that God gives to us to care for our souls. We miss out on the grace that God gives to us to strengthen us and encourage us even when we are mentally and physically low. But this is Satan's whole aim. He's wanting, us to, he's wanting to cut us off from this grace and to cut us off from God in general. It's a mental battle. It's a mental wrestling that takes place in our minds. And it can come on a number of fronts. You can be wrestling here with jealousy in a relationship. You can, be, you can be wrestling here about giving up on a relationship. You know you've got to hang in there, but Satan's just saying, you might just give up. Just give up. He's not worth it. She's not worth it. That's the wrestle. This is the wrestling that goes on here as we fight Satan in our minds. It comes on a thousand different fronts. Someone may be doing some really unkind stuff to you and you just want to repay them with like kind. And the wrestle is you know you shouldn't because the Bible tells me to repay good for evil. And, he's, and Satan says, no, he deserves this or she deserves that. Just let him have it. This is the wrestle that takes place. This is the battle that we are in. Satan is constantly scheming and planning and hatching evil lies and deceptions targeted to us at our weakest times and perhaps our most vulnerable times of life. 
I remember visiting Laurel's dad when he was uh, dying from brain cancer in the hospital, my father-in-law. I remember going there one day, and I was reminded because I saw a bit of video this other day, he felt like a failure. He just felt like God wouldn't accept him. He just felt like a total failure. So I'm thinking in my, in my mind here, here's Satan, as it were, sinking his deceptive claws to try and crush my father in the last remaining weeks of his life. At his most vulnerable time, Satan's attacking to make him feel like a failure and that God will never accept him. He's a wicked, wicked enemy that we're up against. And this is the spiritual warfare that we are involved in. Some of you may be thinking today, even if you're not a believer, you might be saying, are you guys for real? Do you really believe this? Is there really a spiritual dimension working out there? Is there, is there these cosmic powers that we can't see that perhaps are presently in this room right now and we're just not aware of them? Are you guys for real? Is this how you really think? I guess you need to ask yourself then, from where does this evil come from? This evil that's in the world that we know so well. How do adult children raised in a stable home go and kill their parents to get hold of the family fortune? These kids have been brought up well, well provided for in every way. Yet they go and do this evil thing because there's an evil influence in this world that is influencing them to go in that direction. Evil is alive and evil is working. And this is the enemy that Paul is calling us to battle against. But you see, there's a blessing here of grace as we see it in the book of Ephesians. And the blessing is this. God is preparing us for this battle by forewarning us. He's making known to us who this enemy is and how he operates. And God provides strength in this battle so that we'll overcome and get victory over Satan. God provides spiritual armour, which we'll look at in the oncoming weeks, for this battle so that we can stand against Satan and all of his lies and all of his deceptions in our lives. God's provided Jesus Christ as the captain of our souls, as it were, and this is vitally important for us because we could easily come away hearing about Satan, hearing about the devil, hearing about this battle, hearing about the challenges, hearing about his superhuman powers in every way, and we could feel totally overwhelmed I just can't do this. I just can't do this. That's not true. You can. You can because God provides everything we need. And he does this through the strength that Christ provides. We can overcome in Christ because he's already overcome on our behalf. And we need to look no further than the cross to see that absolute victory here that Jesus claims for us. Colossians 2, 13, 15 says this, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Jesus has defeated the enemy in an overall sense. So we can walk in that victory and know and understand that, yes, Satan is alive and is working in this world, but he's on a leash. He's on a leash. He can only do what God allows him to do. 
In God's sovereignty over all things, he can only do what God sovereignly allows him to do and no more. So why? Because Jesus has won that victory and he's disarmed all the evil spiritual powers and authorities. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you today that we can come to the book of Ephesians and we can hear about this wicked enemy that, Lord, we are to do battle with. Uh, God, we uh, thank you. We thank you today that you forewarn us and you equip us and enable us to stand in this battle. Uh, Lord, today we thank you also that we don't do this in our own strength. We don't do this as a word by our own powers, but we do this by the powers that you uh, are working in and through us. And Lord, in this battle, we do not need to fear. And in this battle, we do not need to feel like um, we're going to be defeated. We can come in the confidence and the strength of the victory that Christ has already achieved for us at the cross. So I pray today, God, please help us to stand. Please help us, Lord, today to to engage in this wrestling. As this thought or as this desire comes into our mind, please help us to engage in this wrestling and to not give in and let the devil win. Please help us to stand, to recognise those fiery darts, to recognise those thoughts that Satan would put into our minds and to... uh, Resist them and to allow your truth to work in our hearts to resist those fiery darts. Help us today, Lord, I pray. Father, I ask that, pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Just before we get the singers to come up, any, any questions or thoughts about that? There's a whole lot more that could be said about Satan, but I don't want to. Um, pump up his ties too much, but um, yeah, you guys can come if you like. No worries. Um, love to catch up with anybody after the service. If you've got some questions or thoughts in you'd like to uh, talk about, please uh, feel free to do that, and I'll uh, be more than happy to do that. Thank you. We're going to hand over to.